The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Well, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Turn in your scriptures, please, to Matthew chapter 13, picking up in verse 44 and reading through to the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, to the end of the chapter, the conclusion of the kingdom parables. Well, let's give our attention then to God's holy word. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new And what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Amen and thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we pray now, Father, that you would do a mighty work in our midst, even removing our unbelief. Lord, speak to us through your word. Reveal to us the blessedness, the treasure, that pearl of greatest price, the kingdom of heaven, even, yes, Jesus Christ himself. Impress upon all our hearts, Lord God, the beauty and glory of being part of this eternal kingdom. Be merciful, We pray to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I wonder if any of you can remember, going back to Matthew chapter 4, the first words that Matthew records, the first words out of our Lord Jesus' mouth when he begins his ministry. Those words are this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
He spoke those words signifying the kingdom itself had come. Why? Because the king had come to earth. And here Jesus has been teaching us in the last number of weeks in a concentrated fashion about the nature of this kingdom. It's a kingdom of perfect righteousness, of perfect joy, and of peace. It's a kingdom of his loving rule. It's a kingdom which is growing and spreading throughout the world. It's a kingdom unlike any of the kingdoms of this world. It's a kingdom of unsurpassed value and pleasure. And yet, as this narrative teaches us, as the one did two weeks ago, some do not choose this kingdom. Some do not enter this kingdom and are condemned as a result of it. Others, however, do enter the kingdom. They seek it out or it finds them and they enjoy the kingdom and they enjoy the king, knowing him as the Lord and Savior. The question is simple for us. Which kingdom will you choose? Is it the kingdom of Christ and of heaven or the kingdoms of this world? That is the principle before us. Choose your kingdom. Choose your kingdom. And in verses 44 to verse 50, we see that principle illustrated, the choice of a kingdom, the choice of a kingdom, the principle illustrated. Then we see in verses 51 to 52, the principle illustrated, that is the implication of the choice of the kingdom of heaven. And finally, in verses 53 to 58, we see the principle realized. There is a real-time, real-life kingdom choice. Choose your kingdom. The first is a principle illustrated, kingdom choice. Remember, our Lord is now teaching on the nature of his kingdom, that he is the king, and he's revealed that the kingdom grows He's talked about this kingdom through the parable of the sower. Then the parable of the weeds, which shows that the church in this age is a mixed multitude, uh, finally revealed in its perfection at the last judgment. He's also revealed through the parable of the leaven. The kingdom is, is growing and growing. And we've seen the purpose of our Lord teaching also in parables to hide the truth from some and reveal it to others. And yet he, teach, he continues that teaching now in these verses, verse 44 following. And he's teaching us, firstly, of the infinite value of the kingdom of heaven. Think on that, the infinite value of the kingdom of heaven and how, how some seek it with great diligence and find it. Two parables, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value. First of all, the kingdom of heaven, verse 44, is like treasure hidden in a field. It gives us the impression that a man is walking through the field and somehow comes upon this uncovered treasure. He covers it up and then goes and sells all that he has in order that he might buy the field and inherit the treasure. It's conveying to us several ideas about the kingdom of heaven. First of all, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. 
treasure of inestimable value. A treasure and value beyond our wildest dreams, such is the kingdom of heaven. But secondly, it teaches us that this person is not really actively searching for it. Rather, the kingdom is searching for him. And such is the truth for some converts who enter the kingdom of heaven. They're going on about their life. And through providence, through illness or trial or their own sin, the kingdom of heaven comes upon them, confronts them with the reality they need to be saved. And here is the Savior, Jesus Christ, who saves But the response of that person tells us everything about what they think about the kingdom and the king. He sells all that he has and goes and buys the field and inherits the treasure. If we can put it another way, that person forsakes the world, forsakes everything that he owns in order to take up his cross and follow Jesus Christ. The second parable is like it. Here is the narrative of a searcher, someone who's looking for something and they know what they're looking for. It's a pearl merchant, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, fine pearls. And he finds this pearl of enormous value beyond measure, who on finding one pearl of great value. We get the impression, yes, he's searching. In his search, he's probably passed over many lesser pearls so that he might find this great pearl of great value. And what does he do when he finds this one particular pearl? He sells all that he has in order to buy it. He expends everything that he owns in order that he might be the one who owns this pearl. Such is the kingdom of heaven. It's a picture here of a searcher who is probably in passing over other pearls, has tasted what the world has to offer him and has said, no, I will find the surpassing blessedness and value of the kingdom of heaven and its king, Jesus Christ, and I will do what it takes to inherit that kingdom. The narrative is this, whether searching or whether found, once the kingdom, once Christ has been discovered, these two are prepared to give up all that they had in order to receive the Christ. If we can put it this way, they've tasted and they've seen, they've known and they've experienced the lasting and authentic blessing of life in Jesus Christ. And they say, nothing will stop me having that reality. The Apostle Paul said much the same thing in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. It's a bit of a long quote, this, but it's worth it. Paul writes this, Indeed, I count everything as loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. By any means possible. Riches or poverty, sickness or health, he is willing to give it all up that he might receive the resurrection at the last day. Friends, it's an obvious application to us here today, especially in the context of the parable of the sower. One in four soils benefited from the word. The parable of the weeds, the judgment from verse 38 following, and the judgment we're to hear of in a moment Dear friends, I ask you, is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, this precious to you? Is it this precious to you that you are willing to give up everything to be found in it and to flourish in it? Is King Jesus precious to you? Precious enough to give up the ease of your life? Precious enough to give your time and energies to enjoy him. To sell off, as it were, all your favorite sins and devote yourself to Christ. Is Jesus precious enough to trade your worldly reputations? What are you willing to give up, friends? Sunday morning? Sunday evening? The sins which so easily ensnare us, what are we willing to give up? Not just to enter into the kingdom, but to enjoy the blessings of this kingdom. Let's be quite clear, friends. The entrance into the kingdom of heaven and enjoyment thereof requires a repudiation of everything else in life. Abraham was prepared to sacrifice his son. We're to give up our own agendas. We're to give up our own desires if needs be. We are, as it were, to sell all that we have and give to the poor. That's what our Lord told the rich young ruler. But he couldn't do it. Which is really the narrative of verse 47 following the parable of the dragnet, kingdom choice. This is particularly poignant in Christ's teaching here. We read this in verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw the bad away. Threw the bad away. Let's be quite clear. Jesus is talking about throwing the bad away. In the narrative, that is People who rejected the claims of Christ. Some fish were put in their containers ready for sale and consumption. Others were found to be bad. And the badness is described in verse 49. It's not badness of fish, it's badness of people. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. The badness consists in people who are evil. Evil. They've chosen the kingdom of themselves and the kingdom of this world over the kingdom of the Lord Jesus 
Christ. The end of such people, verse 50, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see what Jesus is saying? There is a kingdom of inestimable worth which provides eternal life. Well, there's the kingdom of yourself and the kingdoms of this world which lead to death. Some chose the kingdom of self and the kingdoms of this world over and against the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, what an incredible contrast this is. Incredible contrast. People see a kingdom of inestimable value, a heavenly kingdom where there is life in Jesus Christ, and they chose the passing, fleeting, temporary, superficial, sinful, and guilt-inducing pleasures and kingdoms of this world. Friend, I say to you, if that's you, and you're outside of the kingdom of Christ, would it not be better to be inside the kingdom of Christ? Would it not be better to receive life and forgiveness and peace of conscience and joy by choosing the Savior this day? Not choosing yourself or the kingdoms of this world. Such is folly. It leads to the hell of hells where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a choice which is, friends, the heaven of heavens. There's a choice which is the saving riches of Jesus Christ. The riches of Christ's love. Thomas Brooks describes, he's a Puritan, describes the riches of Christ's love and of his kingdom in this way. He says... The expression which the Spirit uses for us to understand this concept, the riches of Christ, the expression which the Spirit uses are such that we realize we cannot fully comprehend them. He tells us of joy unspeakable, 1 Peter 1.8. He tells us of peace passing understanding, Philippians 4.7. He tells us of love passing knowledge, Ephesians 3.19, and of riches unsearchable, Ephesians 3.8. Unspeakable, passing understanding, passing knowledge, unsearchable riches. That's the nature of the king and of the kingdom. So rich, so deep, so full, so blessed, so filled with joy and peace of conscience, words cannot express it. This is staggering news. The beauty, the fullness, the glory, the brightness, the comfort is beyond expression. It's more than the words of Scripture can convey to us. And the Christian is one who has given up, at least in theory, and willing to, in practice, given up everything for Christ and for that kingdom.
And I would add, friends, there is not a Christian who in this life has given up field or family or reputation or or wealth or whatever it might be, who will not receive 100-fold what they have given up in the life to come. That's how good this kingdom is. That's how good our king is. But what's the implication for us? Those of us who are part of the kingdom of Christ, there's an implication. That's the principle applied very briefly in verse 51 and 52. There's an implication to being in the kingdom of Christ. Jesus asks the disciples, verse 51, have you understood these things? They reply, yes. And so he takes them at their word and he tells them about a scribe. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. It's obscure, frankly. It's an obscure piece of teaching from our Lord Jesus Christ. What's he talking about? He's talking about a scribe. He's not talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, though he's using the image, the scribes and the Pharisees, especially the scribes, were those who were meant to love the word of God and teach the word of God. The Christian is likened unto a scribe, one who has been trained or granted admittance, who has been equipped by the Spirit to live in the kingdom of Christ and under his rule. The Christian is the scribe here. And what does he do? He loves both the old treasure and the new treasure. He gathers, it says, he brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. He doesn't despise what he had before in favor of what he has now. He treasures both old and new. There's implications for the disciples and for us here. It's somewhat obscure and difficult. But I think our Lord Jesus is looking down the corridor of kingdom past And analyzing, as it were, the kingdom now and what it shall be. The scribes and Pharisees were to be the teachers of God's law, lovers of God's law. But they refused to do so because they hadn't accepted the new Jesus. They clung on to their own twisted version of the old. And because they had never really understood the old, the Old Testament... They never received the new. They despise the new in the place of the old. There are some Christians, on the other hand, who despise the old in favor of the new. Jesus is saying, it ought not be so. If you've understood the nature of the kingdom, you'll understand the Bible. You'll understand the Bible. The treasures of the old revealed in prophecy, promise, type, and shadow, Jesus are manifested fully in the new. And to fully understand the new, you need also the old. It is one Bible, friends. One Bible. Old and new, all of it speaking of our Savior. All of it speaking of our triune God. We are to treasure the old and the new. Two matters here, friends. The fullness of the new covenant can only be understood by looking back at the old covenant. And the old covenant scriptures can only truly be understood by looking at the scriptures of the new covenant. They belong together. 
A true student of scripture, a scribe who understands the kingdom, understands how the kingdom is revealed from Genesis 1-1 all the way through to the end of Revelation chapter 22. But why does Jesus call the Christian a scribe? Why does he call the disciples a scribe? Why not just call them disciples or kingdom citizens? For the disciples, they said, we understand what you're saying, Jesus. And he said to them, now go and be scribes. Love my word, love me, love the old, love the new, and what's more, teach it. Just as we sang in our last hymn, go out and teach. He's preparing them for the great commission. Likewise for us here today, dear friends, if you're a Christian, truly, you love both old and new, you understand by the grace of God and through faith in Christ, the kingdom of heaven, in some way, each one of you here today as a Christian, you must also be a teacher, a teacher of these things. Maybe not from behind a pulpit for most of us, or on a street corner again for most of us, but most certainly by your life, most certainly by your words, most certainly by your witness and testimony, you will be a teacher of Christ and of the kingdom to the world that is looking at you. You are to be a scribe, a teacher of God, if you have entered the kingdom. And friends, this is not just theology. This is not just theory. This is not even just eschatology as we've seen the judgment. This is real life. Real people, real choices, as we see in our final section, verse 53. The principle realized, a real-time kingdom choice. Just to ensure we understand the message... Just to to ensure, Matthew concludes with a real-life example of kingdom choice. Verse 53, Jesus returns to his home district. He preaches and he teaches and he does great works and they're filled with amazement. We read this, verse 54. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? It says they were astonished. They were astonished at his teaching. They were astonished at his mighty works. But friends, notwithstanding the lofty and godly teaching, and notwithstanding the awesome miracles, they still rejected him. They chose the kingdom of self instead of the kingdom of Christ. Verse 55 Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? That's not an honest inquiry, by the way. It's derision. It's derision. The intent of the question is this. Yes, the things he's taught are amazing. Yes, his mighty works are astonishing. But who in the world is this one to tell us how we should live? After all, we grew up with him. We know him. 
We know his family. We can name his brothers and sisters, his father and his mother. Who in the world does this person think he is? Though the power and truth of Christ's words and actions were convincing, the messenger was not from their sinful standard. Why? Because he was one of them. He was from Nazareth. He was the carpenter's son. And they knew his family. You see what they've done? They've rejected the pearl of greatest price because they did not love or understand the old treasures of their own scriptures. They've rejected the new because they didn't understand the old. Because the Old Testament scriptures, those treasures, told them Messiah would be precisely like this. Those scriptures told them that, yes, he would come from Galilee of the Gentiles. Yes, that he would be a Jew amongst Jews. Yes, that he would be lowly and contrite, even a carpenter's son. And that's why they rejected him, because they did not know the old. They refused the new. Calvin says on this, Most improperly and unjustly, therefore were the inhabitants of Nazareth offended on this account. For they ought rather to have received him with reverence as one who had suddenly come down from heaven. They see God working in Christ and intentionally turn their eyes away from this sight to behold Joseph and Mary and all his relatives, thus interposing a veil to shut out the clearest light. They put a veil over their eyes so they could not see the Christ. And so it was that some people who dwelt in great darkness remained in great darkness. Think on that for a moment. They rejected the light. Jesus responds, verse 57, he says to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and in his own household. He's saying, I've received honor in many other places throughout the land for my preaching and my teaching. But when it comes to my home territory, even my family, I'm derided. We're told this is the heart of unbelief, verse 58. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Ultimately, you see, the refusal to receive the message is a refusal to receive the messenger. And a refusal to receive the messenger is a refusal to receive the message. They despise the king and his kingdom. Friends, have you received Jesus Christ? Is he and is his kingdom precious to you beyond measure? Is Jesus unto you a delight beyond all delights? Have you sacrificed to enter the kingdom? Have you given something up? Or has your pathway into the kingdom been one of ease? If it's been one of ease, 
Be careful, you're in danger. Because when we enter the kingdom, what are we called to do? Take up a cross. Sell all you have and give to the poor, the spiritual equivalent thereof. But friends, what a kingdom this is. A treasure beyond comparison. A pearl of the greatest price. An eternal kingdom. Hell subdued. Peace with heaven. Consider this, friends. With Christ is joy unspeakable. Peace which passes understanding. Love which passes knowledge. And riches unsearchable. That's the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we would indeed treasure this great kingdom. Lord, have mercy upon us for our many failings, (coughs) our unwillingness to sacrifice and give up for the sake of your kingdom. Oh Lord, impress upon each one of us afresh this morning how wonderful our Savior is, how glorious his kingdom is. And that we must be willing to give up everything to enter and prosper therein. Lord, where there is no faith this day, we plead with you. Create faith. Grant the grace of repentance to any without. And to the rest of us, your children, Lord, we pray, have mercy, build us up. Strengthen us, keep us, we ask it. For your glory's sake and for the encouragement of our hearts, we ask this in Jesus' name.